great to be here with you this morning to open God's word. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you to our worship team for leading us in that way. Um, okay, we'll get this right out of the way first. The gummy bears. Um, here's, here's why. Uh, this week, these are going to be noisy if I keep rattling them. Uh, I'll set them down. This week, I kind of rediscovered my love for gummy bears, and I'd love to take a moment and talk about how amazing they are. I don't know if you've eaten gummy bears lately, if uh, you're even a fan of these gummy candies. I, uh, as a kid, it brings back so much memories, right? I just love gummy bears, but uh, they've been around a while, right? It's not every day that we always pause and just appreciate the fact that we, we have something that, I mean, 1922 is when these gummy bears exploded on the scene and started being all the rage in Europe, and I, I'm overstating it, I'm sure, uh, but... I want you to go back, and if, again, as Jeff said, I ha asked uh, at the start, if you were here, if I had the opportunity to reach through this screen and provide you with a gummy bear, I absolutely would, because I would love to know how you eat them. I would love to know uh, if you just uh, mix a few together and pop them all in your mouth and just chew away, or if you were a little bit more like me. And again, sometimes I, I come and I bring you these sort of illustrations from my life, and I wonder, um, am I a total weirdo? Am I the only one who does this? Uh, but here's what gummy bears were like for me as a kid. As an adult, I mean, uh, not so much. But as a child especially, I would, uh, I'd look through all the flavors. You know, and there's a lot of different flavors, right? We got the strawberry, the orange, the raspberry, the lemon, the pineapple. And I was never really happy just to do one flavor at a time. I try and figure out what's going to be a great flavor combination, right? So I would take the head from one gummy bear and I'd stick it on the body of, say, a, a pineapple. And it would have a, 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 maybe a strawberry head with a pineapple body. And, and eventually, well, we'd have these weird multi-flavored combination things. Actually, they uh, uh, kind of looked a little bit like, you know what, I, here's what I did. I had my kids help me with this this morning. We did an art project of sorts. And so I brought a picture of it, uh, which if we can bring up this picture of, uh, uh, this is what our table looked like, this weird gummy bear assortment. And so we've got all these different color combinations together, trying to get one bear that's just got, got it all. But here's what happens. If you've ever done this, you'll know. You can take a green bear head and put it on a yellow body with a red foot and a, and a, and a yellow foot or whatever, um, but it's never really a whole complete unit. And you can do your best to get it all slobbery and sticky and try and make it work, but it always just falls apart. It never, never quite becomes just that unified whole. At some point, you're going to end up with just a pile of gummy bits and a whole lot of sticky mess. And so it, it, it fails just to be a single thing. Well, this morning we're going to continue our look in Ephesians, and Paul looks at a different type of body, not the gummy bear kind of body. He instead looks at, uses our human bodies as a bit of a metaphor, a bit of an image to help us understand this church? What does it mean to be the body of Christ? What does it mean to be a community of believers, and how does that all work? So I want you to join with me. We're going to read from Ephesians chapter 4, 
and, uh, and see what Paul says there about being unified. We're going to read verse 1 through 16. And so we read this. If I can get the right page. I know that COVID's made us all nervous about licking our fingers in public now, but uh, here we go. I got it. Uh, Verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1 says this. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Why does he ascend? What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. When we will no longer be, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speak the truth in love. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. All right. So we are continuing in Ephesians, our, our look about what it says for us in terms of who we are, our identity. And today we are looking at what does it mean to be unified, right? As we look around at our world, as we look around at our our just even Christian community, it can feel a little uh, fragmented, right? But here's that that directive in verse 3. Remain unified. Keep the unity. So this morning we're just going to look at how how do we do that? How do we maintain it? Not, uh, not that we, uh, well, how do we, what do we see as God's role in that? What is our role in that? How does it actually work so that we can keep this body from being like a gummy bear that just all falls apart, okay? And so what we're going to see is there's a few things for us. Uh, and uh, I started compiling a list of, okay, what does this say? And I know some of you love the alliteration. You love to just have it all be like a, uh, you know, you could go the, the, all the notes, all one letter, and I compiled the list of all the ways that uh, the, the things this passage says. The problem is, 
The list of nice alliterated words are all kind of the negative stuff. And I thought, you know what? If we go down what to avoid, uh, that just seems like maybe it's not as unifying as, uh, as if we focus on what, the positive aspects of the, the things that we could do that uh, are the positive directives in this. And so I want to take you down that route, but note that uh, uh, it doesn't have the catchy kind of uh, everything lining up with the same letter. So if you need that to remember it. If you need that, I'll give it to you, and it's, but uh, you can get a pencil and paper, and you can write down three I's, and I'll, I'll give you those. But I, I do want us to focus positively on what is Paul directing us towards. What is the good thing that we should keep focused on, okay? And so the first of those is that we need is grace. The first uh, thing that helps maintain unity is grace. And what hurts it, then, is insensitivity, Okay? To be unified, we need grace. Grace towards other believers. And in, uh, if we look at verse 2 again, returning our attention to verse 2, he gives us a list of some graces, some ways that we show grace to one another, where it says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. So the first of these is humility. It's a grace that we offer to others. It's a grace that we experience. And humility builds unity and really helps everybody get along, but it's more than just that. Uh, there is a, a truism, a famous saying, uh, that, uh, that says humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Now, I tried to find out this week for us uh, who actually said that. And so some of you might know, you're like, oh, C.S. Lewis, and you're going to email me that this week. But uh, uh, a lot of people say that's a misquote. So if you have evidence and you can help me out, I'd love to know who actually said that first. Send me a, you know, photocopy, scan, picture, whatever, of a page where that's written and send it to me. Because others are like, no, it's Rick Warren. It, it doesn't matter. It is something that is a, a, a bit of a truism that, you know, life kind of backs up. Humility, scripturally especially, isn't, is about thinking about others, looking out for their interests, considering what they need, considering uh, all that you have that could be lent to them. It's, it's stewarding your resources, your time, your everything, to considering not yourself and your own needs, but others. It's actually extreme trust, trusting that God's got you so that you can look out for others. Right? That's humility. Humility also adds to unity, because humility creates space for you to listen to others. It's recognizing that the viewpoints and opinions of the other people in your life are also valid. Even if you don't always agree with them. It's recognizing that your viewpoint isn't the only one that matters. So humility creates space for others. Humility also adds to unity because it's also actually essential to even being part of the body of Christ. It's essential for salvation. Uh, Tim Keller points out that the only thing that keeps someone from receiving any gift, such as the gift of salvation, is pride. Pride gets in the way. Pride keeps you from receiving a gift. Pride, in essence, then, keeps you from receiving entrance into this community. So, no humility, well, really no being part of the body in any way, shape, or form. So that's the first grace. The first grace is humility. The second grace is gentleness, which is a controlled strength. Okay? So think about all the ways that you might be gentle to someone this week and show them grace through gentleness. When you bite your tongue, in essence, that's gentleness. 
when you, um, when you seek to see the others around you as also important and essential and valid, that is gentleness. When you don't push your uh, perspectives on others, but just offer them as other perspectives, that is also gentleness. When you're creating space for others to express their opinions, no matter what you think of them, that is an act of gentleness and an act of grace. Gentleness doesn't mean that you just go around allowing others to live dangerously wrong, right? We talk about creating space for their views. That doesn't mean you let people just run headlong into folly or danger. He does talk in there eventually about sharing truth and love, and we'll get there. But it's kind of remembering the Proverbs, what Proverbs 15.1 says, that a gentle answer turns away wrath. So when we have a rebuttal, we have a response, we have a, another perspective to share with someone, it's doing it in such a way that it is soaked in and dripping with gentleness and love in that way. Right? Because then there's the other half of that proverb. A harsh word stirs up anger. Certainly you've experienced that, right? Someone's come at you harsh and you just feel the hairs on the back of your neck stand up and you're like, no, what's going on? Right? There's that, that response in you is, is ready to fight. Certainly we've done that to others too in how we've responded. And so we need to balance our response, our truth, with gentleness to build them up. The third grace then is patience that Paul points out here, that, that to really have a good unity in grace requires patience. So do you know what Moses and Ezra and David and Joel and Jonah and Nahum all have in common besides being guys in the Old Testament? They all referenced in their writings, pointed out for the people of Israel and for us today that God is slow to anger. They, they know that this is a central characteristic of who God is. He is patient. He doesn't rush to wrath. He is slow to it. And kind of the resounding biblical understanding of patience relates to our response. It isn't about just sort of uh, letting others have, you know, take all the time they need. No, it's about how quick do we, how, how short or how long is our fuse. So, you're on Facebook, as one is, right? And you, someone, you, you, someone you know posts that post and it gets you, you, you know it's a topic that you just, ah, it gets you every time, right? How quickly does your blood boil? Or are you patient? How, how, how quickly does that rebuttal form in your mind that you know is just going to cut them down? Or are you patient? How, 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 how quickly do you kind of go, mm, block, mute that person forever? Or, or, or do you have patience? Again, grace isn't just letting them run headlong into folly, but it's how we respond and how we bring truth into the situation. So patience isn't just putting up with those who are slow. It's, act, it's more than that. It is, in essence, uh, a stick-to-itness. It's, it's recognizing that, okay, if I've humbly created space to listen to the opinions of others, and I have gently tried to speak truth and love, then, then, then patience is, I'm not going to just leave when I hear something I don't like. It's, we have an issue, and I'm going to stick around to work it out. Instead of just running away, which we all could do, patience and the, is a grace when we 
commit to one another, to work out whatever disagreement we might have, to create space in our community for that conversation. So then the fourth aspect of grace that Paul brings to light here is forbearance, which, uh, which is a bit of a distinguishment. It helps us discern what we hear in others that is just something that we uh, for lack of a find an annoying, right? Sometimes we, 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 we have people in our, our life and we, we love them, but we don't always like them, you know? Like we, 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 we kind of look at them and go, okay, that, that can be annoying, but, you know, uh, whatever. Um, and so it's distinguishing between that, which we just struggle to really love, and that which is actually dangerous. And so it's that discernment. So forbearance kind of actually helps us see that everybody is created in the image of God. I was listening to a podcast this week, and uh, uh, as often happens, if you spend any time on the internet, you know eventually Hitler's going to pop up. I don't know how that is, but when, you, when people go for the, what's the, the worst example of anything, it becomes him, right? And, and so that's where the conversation went, and that's when it got shut down hard with a simple line. Hitler is an image bearer. And I just had to pause, because in my brain I went, what? Wait, wait, so then we can't, Hey, and it was, it, 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 it was derailing because if that person can look at Hitler and go, well, God still made them, we have to, you know, and, and, and so it's, it's this understanding that every person, God still would love to redeem, God still loves, God still cares about God made in his image. So even what we might think is the worst, and I'm sure you're not looking at anybody in your life or your church especially and going, oh, no, but, but, for even those that sometimes get under our skin, can we look at them and go, yeah, they, 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 they are loved by God as much as I am. Can we look at those people who even we see, you know, they might be bringing in something dangerous, but God still loves them. So I'm going to patiently work with them and help them come to see the light. I'm going to show them grace. And so forbearance is an essential aspect of that because we, 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 we helps us discern where it actually to take the conversation and the relationship. It is such a grace that we don't just shun people because they um, sometimes say stuff we don't agree with or sometimes they say it in a way that we just find challenging. But we continue to show grace. We are humble. We uh, are gentle. We are patient. And we're going to bear with others. So that's the first aspect of maintaining unity in this community of believers, in this body of believers. We need to show grace to one another. The second aspect then is dependence, right? That's what we can rely on. We can trust and find dependence to help us be unified and we need to avoid then individualism. We need to move away from individualism and recognize that we all actually depend on one another. So we're going to determine our dependence. Let me look at verse 11 through 13 again. And there we read this. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Hmm. So he lists a few things in there. Uh, that uh, are of known. It's kind of the first thing. We're going to talk about dependence. We should ask, like, what do we depend on? So the first thing is God. God provides the gifts and the people and everything that is needed to build his body. God, through his spirit, gives the gift. 
And it's important to realize that this is not an exhaustive list of gifts. If we go throughout scripture, we'll find a lot of other things said. But this is what Paul's focusing on here. And, and some have pointed out that this is just a list of uh, leadership gifts. And that isn't to say that if you're in leadership in a church, you're more valuable. No, no, don't hear that. Hear that everyone is essential to being part of the body. In fact, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians has a, has a slightly different look at this and, and is worth reading later. But here we have these few leadership gifts, apostles, prophets, teachers, preachers. And, and the important thing is to note that God provides those giftings. God provides leadership. God provides what is needed in this way and others to build his body, to build his church. And uh, it's also important to realize then that God is absolutely the one at work building his body. Now, I say building his body, and of course, what comes to my mind is, you know, those like buff bodybuilder types in the gym. And I don't know if you go to the gym regularly, you've probably seen people like this, right? They're the ones in front of the mirrors. They're the ones lifting incredibly heavy weights. Um, that, that's not me. For a while, actually, it was great. I'd go to the gym uh, a few years back at Johnson Bentley, which was awesome because it was all people like me and seniors right? It was a whole lot less flexing, more refluxing, right? It was a lot less uh, people standing in the mirror like this and more like, oh, oh, right? It was, it was it's beautiful. But if you've gone to the gym, a real gym where there's bodybuilders, you'll watch them. And right, and they're, they're all about the discipline and they're all about the, the, the flexing and, and the dieting and the, and the doing all the different things. I, I, I don't even know. Uh, so that they're in top physical shape. Do you know that's God's care. That's God's job for his body. You and I in, in this metaphor are more like just muscles, right? We get worked. God's working on us to build us up, to strengthen us so that we can be part of the body. We're not the ones who are deciding what gets done. We just need to be available and open to God doing the work in us. So he's provided everything we need as a community of believers. So for us at Lakeview Heights Baptist Church, we, we consider those who are part of Lakeview, like God, is, God has provided you and we're gonna work together and we're a team. Um, and, and if you're part of a different church and just happen to be checking us out this week, that's awesome. Uh, you know, look at, look at the church that you more regularly connect with. You know what? God's provided everything you guys need to. And so that's part of it. We rely and we depend on God. He's building his church. He's doing the work. We have a part in it, but it's mostly him. We can't be passive. We can't ignore our rule, but it's God doing the real heavy work. We also need to rely on other believers. Specifically, first and foremost, uh, we're going to talk about the other believers at Lafayette Heights Baptist Church. Again, our church context. Uh, and if you're more regularly connected to another church, that's awesome. We're glad you're here. We're glad you're joining us. Uh, but, uh, consider what this means for the church that you most regularly connect with, okay? So there's three kind of ways that this plays out in, for our consideration this morning when we think about depending on the other believers in our local church context. We rely on all genders, on all gift generations, on all gifting, okay? And the first two there, the, the genders and generations, might be a little more obvious, but we believe that, that God's spirit, the same spirit that's in me, is in each of you. That, that if you are a younger generation, you don't have any less Holy Spiritness than I do. It's one spirit. Now, you might be thinking, wait a minute, I'm young, I, uh, and you, or you might be looking at your kids and go, no, they're young. Uh, those gifts might not be fully developed yet or fully realized yet. 
But there's no less spirit. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, there's one spirit. And so uh, all generations come together to be the church. All, there, there, there's no, uh, all genders come together, all generations, everybody got to work together. And then all gifting. It is, would be an inappropriate way for us to go and say, well, some gifts are more important than others. That's not scriptural. Every part has a part. Every part is essential. Uh, we can't look at one part and go, mm, right? So some of you, you, you uh, there's also, then there's no room for pride in that, right? Because some of you are, might be more of like a head. You might have the visionary. You kind of see the big picture. Uh, you might know more of the eyes and you kind of see where we need to go. And that's awesome. Uh, some are more like feet that kind of do the work and take a step here and a step there. Some of you, uh, you might feel more like a pinky toe and you're like, I don't know, I think I do something and certainly I notice when I stub it. Uh, some of you are even like the, the appendix and we, we love that you're here. We don't know what you do, but we love that you're here and so we're so glad that God put you here. Uh, trust that you are absolutely essential and, and one day soon we will figure that out, right? And so you're, everybody is important in the life of the body. And so we, uh, we recognize that and we just, we want to, we value every bit of gifting that you bring because it's one spirit. There's one God who's brought us all together, providing for the needs of our local church, right? Not everyone is a hand, but everyone is important, okay? Third thing then is that uh, uh, we are dependent on the universal worldwide body of believers, Okay. We are in uh, the central Okanagan region. We're specifically the Lakeview Heights community of West Kelowna. That's us. We're not in Edmonton. Thank Jesus. Okay, we are here in West Kelowna, and we love it. Um, and, and, uh, but there are churches in Edmonton, and it's so great they are, because then uh, we don't have to be. No, uh, it's God has got a church, a body, a representative in every community. And so you might be joining us, you know, YouTube gets us out everywhere, it's, it's great. Uh, you might feel like, oh, I'm in like New Brunswick or wherever, really feel connected. We're so glad. That, that's our heart, is that uh, people would be able to connect. But we would also love to help you connect in whatever, a local church in whatever community you're in. That would be our hope, is that when COVID's over and uh, the doors of churches get opened up, uh, you find a connection in a local community, something that reflects the area, the region in which you live, that can help you connect with people who are also connecting with Jesus. If you need help with that, contact us. We'd love to kind of introduce you uh, to some churches in your area uh, that, uh, that can help you in your faith journey. But we are, uh, we don't, we don't uh, have any problems with just acknowledging we are a local church that's because of all of this, uh, you know, we recognize that we have opportunities, but we still want to be very local. We also, so we recognize that we're here and we can do some things in our community that, uh, and, and that we will never do in t uh, others like Toronto. That's okay. There's other Christians doing those works. So we rely on them to reach those neighborhoods for Jesus. It's all about growing his kingdom, not our reach. Also, other churches, uh, they have different gifting and abilities in us, right? Because if we're depending on God to provide what we need to fulfill the mission to which he has called us, we look around the room or the, the, the church community and we go, okay, what has God provided? And how do we use that to fulfill what he's called us to? There are churches who have different giftings and different callings, and that's awesome. Again, it's not about what Lakeview needs to do. We're going to focus on what we're called to do. But we recognize that God's kingdom is huge. God's mission is massive. 
and, uh, and he's going to use other churches too. We're not going to be jealous of that. We're just going to say, praise Jesus. There's other people doing really good work all for his glory. And so we depend on those, those churches to do what they're called to do and we're, as we're going to do what we're called to do and we trust that in all of it, Jesus' name is going to be proclaimed well and loud and great. And so we depend on God, we depend on other believers at Lakeview, and we depend on other church communities all to be part of the big uh, kingdom-advancing movement of God. Okay? So that's the second thing. To promote and maintain unity, uh, we need to uh, determine our dependence. Be really clear. These are the things that we're depending on, not on us, on, but on God and on others. Then the third thing, in order to maintain unity, is truthing, right? Or uh, the flip side, uh, the thing to avoid is immaturity. Now you hear truthing and you're thinking, uh, did you just make up a word? No. Uh, maybe, but I got it from a commentary. So, uh, right, it's not like funner, which everyone just thinks is a word. No, it's, it's, uh, it's because, uh, well, you've probably heard that love is a verb. Uh, and now you have DC talk stuck in your head. It's awesome. Me too. Uh, right? But love is a verb. And so is, in this case, truth. Truth is something you believe. It's something you, you hold to. But it's also how you live. It's a way of being, acting. And so we've got to look at both sides of that to really understand how unity is maintained. So it is a set of beliefs. And if we go back to verse 4 through 6, he, like Paul lays out some the core uh, unifying beliefs of the church. Because he says there is one body and one spirit. Reference that a few times already. Right? Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Okay? How many times does he say there's one in there? There's it's just one. So we're all connected to that. So we hold this truth and we are unified with others in that we all kind of hold to the same truth there. But more than that, okay? So that's our beliefs. We gotta, you know, uh, if we're with other believers, we, we hold to the same core beliefs. That brings unity. But also then, it's a way of living and acting. It's not just what you think or what you know. It's also how you live. It's your life. Truth is also about grounding and foundation, Okay, your grounding and foundation. So as he goes on in chapter 4, he talks about some issues that, rev- that kind of reveal the immaturity of some. Because in verse 14 through 16, he says, Then the mature will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind, uh, every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Okay? So you might be feeling, oh man, this... Uh, I've heard this and it's kind of rocked me a little bit. Oh, and then I heard that and it's kind of rocked me. And I just, if you don't know where to stand, if you don't know what's true, well, then you just, you need to get rooted. And, and Paul talks about it's a time to mature. 
Truth grounds us. When we live true, we stick to who we are, who God has made us to be, who God has formed us to be. Truth is, the true life is a life of maturity, a life lived out. So then, we're not tossed around by different perspectives or ideas, some of which aren't true, some of which are, but maybe we just need, haven't really confronted them yet. Right? Immaturity, he notes, is going off course, losing track of where God is at in the midst of life, losing sight for what God is doing. All of that is immaturity. Immaturity is also being influenced by the latest conspiracy theories that are bouncing around and tossing back and forth between the latest posts you've read online. Those are marks of immaturity that we see. But for those who live true, we can see this is what Christ has said. This is who God, how God is at work. This is where God is leading, and we stick to that. So we know when things are straight and when things are askew. That is a mark of living true. And so when we see those things and we're like, wait, that is, uh, that's kind of heading off in a false direction or that's rather crooked. If we look back on all the other ways that we promote unity, we then bring truth, as he says in verse 15, we bring it in love. We bring it in grace. We bring it with consideration of the other. Not because not we want to be right. I mean, I, yeah, I love being right. Who doesn't want to be right? But we bring truth to the situation out of a love for the person who's in error. We bring truth into the situation steeped with grace. We bring truth to the situation in our concern for being unified with the other person. So we don't let them live in folly, but we bring truth in a careful way. Because that person is called as formed in the image of God. And we want them to grow into it and to help them mature. And so we do it. So we still bring truth. We do so in love. We don't bring it in a way that will tear them down, but build them up. To lead them into greater grounding and maturity. But we do that. Not just by offering a whole set of prepositions about things we believe. We do it by how we live. We live true. So, uh, unity is promoted through grace, through dependence on God and other believers. It is created through truth. And so if you're looking around kind of life today, whether it's society and you're thinking, oh man, it seems like we're really struggling with unity. Uh, you might be looking and going, ah, yeah, I see that there's that church and there's that church and there's this people who call themselves Christians. And, and sometimes it can feel like this body of Christ is a little fragmented. And of course, I'm not, I'm not speaking specifically to Lakeview. I'm speaking about just church life in general. You might feel like, oh, unity is kind of lost. There's really good news. I want to encourage us with this, church. The same way we maintain unity also rebuilds unity. And so if you uh, are, as we as leaders and, and you as part of the body of Christ, we have a charge to bring grace to our communities, to be people of humility, be people of patience, of gentleness, to be people of forbearance, 
to bring, uh, to recognize and realize our dependence on God and on those other believers and to bring, to live true to who God has called us to be. That is our challenge for us today as we seek to maintain and build unity in the body and as we actually live together and not just a little pile of parts. So let us pray for us, church. Father, I thank you that this church, this community of believers is formed by you, for you, uh, and that you have great concern, not just for all the individual pieces, though you do, but you have great concern for what the community looks like together. Thank you for what you're doing to build it, to keep it together, to maintain it. Thank you that you call us into it, God, and I pray that this week especially, we'd be people who live true and that we would do so in grace and in love because we depend on you and one another. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.